Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community Eastside Gathering. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, good morning, Eastside. There we go. Man, Jesus, your name is exalted above every name. And so we glorify you this morning, God. We come together as your people. God, you have generously poured out your life, your graciousness, the gift of yourself to us, ultimately in the power and the presence of your spirit. So we come this morning longing to be formed as your people and that we would become like you, Jesus, a gift-giving people, that we would ultimately give the, the gift of ourselves as you have given us the greatest gift of yourself, Lord. Amen. Wow, you can be seated. Well, good morning. It is good to be here. I just want to open us up with a bit of an update, a financial update. So we're coming up on July 1st is the beginning of our financial year. We kind of have a financial year that runs July through June. And so as we come up on the end, we wanted to update just on where we're at. And there's some uh, good news and some bad news. I usually like to give the bad news first. So uh, the bad news is that we are about $100,000 behind uh, under our budget. Um, but the good news is that's actually better than we expected to be at the beginning of the year. <laughs> so uh, we as a uh, site, you know, you think about like church planting, and usually when a new site or a church launches, uh, it takes about three to five years generally to get self-sufficient. And we are two years in, and we're actually doing better than anticipated. The uh, goal is that at three to five years, we would be self-sufficient, self-sustaining as a community. And at two years in, we're actually doing better than anticipated. Um, But also we have kind of a pot, a a fund, as Eastside that's been set aside to help us kind of get our legs under us and get moving over these first few years. And so uh, the good news is that uh, as we enter this final month, these last few weeks, that the better off that we're doing in in, in this goal of moving towards self-sufficiency, the less we have to dip into that pot right now and the longer it's going to last us, if that makes sense, right? So, so the good news is we're actually doing better than we anticipated, though we are still, uh, you know, the goal would be 335000 is our annual budget, and we're at two hundred thirty-five. So the closer we get to that, the less we need to kind of pull into our reserves, and the longer that pot, that funding is going to, going to help us. Um, but the vision or goal, the hope is that uh, ultimately that we would be self-sustaining as a community in the long run. And so that's kind of the, the vision and goal that we're moving towards, that we would be relationally connected as a family of churches, Central and East Side, we'd be uh, relationally and family and in so many ways connected, but that financially we would be uh, kind of have our own legs under us and be able to run with that momentum together as a people here. So I wanted to update you on that. And now as we dive in, we're going to be in Ephesians 4 today. And so if you have your Bible with you and want to turn there, that would be great. And we are in a season of Pentecost. So the the day of Pentecost uh, last week is the day where we celebrate as Christ has ascended and he gives the gift of his spirit. And the reality is that Christ's spirit is the greatest gift he could give. That Jesus just doesn't give us stuff. He gives us the gift of himself. And as Jesus pours out the very gift of himself, his presence into us, both personally and collectively as a community, that the beauty of God's gift of himself is that it tends to draw out the gifts of ourselves, right? It tends to draw out your gifting, your imagination, your talent. That Jesus 
presence makes us more human, right? Like it draws us into the fullness of our humanity in terms of who we were created to be. And so Jesus is a gift giver, right? Jesus gives the gift of himself, and Jesus wants to give, continue giving the gift of himself through us to his world, to each other and to his world. And so there's this irony, I think, though, that Jesus has given each of you a gift, right? Jesus has given each of us a gift. But the irony is that that gift is meant to be given away, right? Which is kind of a little shocking at first. I was thinking of, if you've seen, there's that famous scene in that, uh, that classic Oprah. Maybe the most famous Oprah, but I don't usually watch Oprah, but everyone's kind of seen the scene, right? Like the, the car giveaway, where everyone gets a car, right? And people, <laughs> people are there and they see the one person got the car and they're like, oh, that's so great for them. And then everyone has a little box and they have to wait to open it. And all right, one of you got uh, you know, a, a free car. And then when they open it, they realize everyone got it, right? Like you got a car and you got a car and you got a car and you got a car. Like the whole community got the gift, right? Like got the car. And everyone's excited and tears are flowing and people's mascaras are running. You know, everyone's just, you know... <laughs> But imagine then, what if Oprah had said, and, you, and guess what? You don't get to keep it. Right? You got to go give that car away. The dynamic in the room probably would have changed really quickly. Right? Like, like, what? Like, no, this is, this is mine. Right? This, this gift is for me. But Jesus, it's almost like that, right? Like Jesus uh, tells his whole church, we end up thinking like, oh man, it's just that leader or that one person that's got that special gift or whatever. You go, no, Jesus has given the gift to all his people. But there's an irony in that once you realize the gift he's given, you hear the voice of Christ calling you, know, you got to go give it away, right? And I actually think there's something beautiful about this because Jesus has not just given us stuff, he's rebuilding community. He's really building the life of uh, his people. So one of the things we like to say here is that uh, at East Side, we are not a restaurant, we're a potluck, right? We're not a restaurant, we're a potluck, right? I know church potlucks can, for some of you, that can maybe be a cheesy association or whatever, but the beauty is going, we're not a restaurant in the sense, like, we're not a place where uh, the majority of folks come to be served and kind of, yeah, I'd like this, and I'd like this, and I'd like that, you know, and we kind of give our tastes and preferences. That at Eastside, we, we envision we are a place where we each bring what we've got to bring, our gifting to the table. That Jesus has given us each an ingredient for the meal. Right? He's given us each a gift, and it's meant to be given away to bring life to the whole. And so let's dive in, and let's look this morning at how Jesus has given each of us a gift. He's given you a gift to be given away. So Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1 to 6. <clears throat> Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So one of the first things we see here is that Jesus gifts his church. His first kind of gift is his spirit. And he gifts, through his he gifts his church with unity and calls us to preserve it. Jesus gifts the church with unity and calls us to preserve it. I think there's something beautiful about this that Jesus doesn't say, you don't have to go create unity. You just have to preserve the unity I've given you. 
You don't have to create unity. You just have to preserve the unity I've given you. Uh, The reality is that Jesus has unified us as we are baptized into his spirit. Uh, All this language, we are baptized and brought into life with one God, one Father, Lord over all, and that God's goal is that his life would be through us, through all and in all. That we are brought into this unity of who Christ is and what he has accomplished. Then Jesus is going, I don't need you to go create unity. I just need you to preserve the unity I've given you. And the kind of call to create unity versus preserve it are two different things. I think about like, if I come to you and I say, hey, I want you to create a chocolate cake, right? It's like, all right, I got to go and get the ingredients. And, you know, I, I'm a horrible cook. I tend to burn everything, you know. So I, I got I to make sure I, 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 I do it all right. But if I say, hey, I've made this chocolate cake, but the party's coming. I just need you to preserve it, right? There's that in some ways that's easier, right? Like I don't have to make the cake. I'm a horrible chef, but in some ways that's tougher. <laughs> like, dude, all right, I, I I actually gotta preserve the the goodness of this thing, the integrity of this thing until the party comes. And the reality is, Jesus has gifted us as His people with unity because He's brought us into life with Himself. But His calling to us is to preserve that unity to hold and keep it together. And the reality is that sin tends to tear at that unity. It tends to fragment and divide and pull apart that unity. And so that unforgiveness that you harbor in your heart towards someone in the community, that can fester and grow like an infection, right? Like that affair can tear apart not only your marriage, but uh, ripple effects into your family and friends, your community as a whole. Your greed can kind of, you're clinging to, these are my positions, this is my car Oprah gave me, I'm not sharing it with anyone, right? Like, like, that can prevent the generosity that God wants to bring life to his people. So I was thinking about, you know, Jesus wants his body to be unified, and sin can be like an infection. So I actually, some of you may know, about two weeks ago, I got this crazy weird infection in my arm, Right? So I woke up one morning, uh, well, I woke up at night, it was about midnight, and I had this raging fever, aches and chills all throughout my body, and my first thought was, oh my gosh, I've got the flu. Right? And then I go out and look in the mirror, and I found my elbow had swollen up like the size of a tennis ball, and I was like, what's going on? That's, that's probably not the flu. What is that, right? So, <laughs> so my wife is in Nepal, uh, overseas, and so I'm like, all right, I just got to power through the night. I, I can't leave the kids and go to the hospital. But I go the next day, and the doctors are like, oh, yeah, you've got this infection. And they put me on some antibiotics, and they, they send me home. And then I get a call from them at 2 a.m. in the morning, 2 in the morning the next night. And they're like, hey, this is the emergency room. Uh, we just got your blood test back, and that infection has actually made its way into your bloodstream. This will kill you. Get back to the ER now. So, so I'm like, all right. Like, <laughs> my mom watched the kids, and I jumped over to the ER, and uh, pretty soon they got me on uh, the IV and antibiotics rushing through my system, and, and uh, they're, they're doing emergency surgery and cutting my arm open and trying to clean everything out and all. And <laughs> the reality is there was a, an infection in my body that wanted to tear at the integrity, the unity, the wholeness of my body, and ultimately could have killed me, right? Uh, Thankfully, everything's all better now. But I think that's like a picture of sin in the community, 
Right? Like we often think of sin as just a thing between me and God, but the reality is that uh, our pride, our selfishness, our greed, our, our, our things, that kind of vice and junk in us, it can tear down the unity and integrity and wholeness of the body. Right? Like that, that greed can be like an infection in us that you might think, hey, I'm just one person over here, but you're a part of the community. You're a part of the body. And if left unchecked, that thing grows. It can also become contagious with other people. We can turn into factions and everyone just trying to protect their own. And when that happens, we're not preserving the unity and the wholeness of the body that Christ has given us. Right? And so I think the Spirit, His antidote, the Spirit's antidote, the, the, the infection of sin, Paul tells us in this passage that humility is a key piece of that. Right? That humility is like the, the Spirit's immune system to preserve the integrity and wholeness of the body. Because this unity that Jesus has gifted us with, it's an active thing. It's not a passive thing, right? It's not like, uh, I'm just going to sit on the sidelines so I don't mess up the unity, right? Like the way that Jesus accomplishes this unity is he gives his life for us. He lays himself down. He is actively towards us and for us. And the way that we get into this whole thing is that now Jesus is grafting us by his spirit into his, into his, it's like to carry on that gift-giving life that brings life to the whole. And so we are called, when we're called to humility, we're called to lay our lives down for one another, to carry on Jesus' gift-giving life with each other as a people. Uh, this last week, I had, I had a tremendous opportunity to be uh, in Rome and with a group of Protestants and all who were meeting with uh, Pope Francis. And it was phenomenal. I'll probably share you know, more in the future. But um, it was this goal of kind of bridge building and relational unity. Kind of, we know that we have theological differences, and, and we're not going to pretend those aren't there, but we, we, we recognize that we mutually love Jesus, and we want to build bridges of relationship and unity. And uh, there was just some powerful stories, things that took place. Uh, there has been some work going on in Portland here with the Archbishop who came and was part of the trip here in Portland and uh, Catholic and Protestant leaders kind of building bridges and seeing how we can serve Jesus together in the city. Uh, but one of the things that struck me was part of the backdrop to this gathering. And part of the backdrop was when Francis became Pope, he went to a little town called Caserta, a city called Caserta in Italy. And it was a place that was um, heavily Protestant, particularly Pentecostal. And, and it was a place where uh, many of the Protestants in that area, the Pentecostals, had experienced uh, persecution at different times, even in recent, uh, somewhat recent history, this last century. So there was a lot of division and tension between Catholics and Pentecostals in the area. And Pope Francis had built a relationship with one of the Pentecostal leaders and had gone to his church, uh, kind of this large Pentecostal church, and, and publicly uh, got up and said, hey, I'm sorry, I want to repent for the sins of the church against Pentecostals, and, and got down and washed Giovanni's, the, the, the pastor, washed his feet publicly. So people were weeping and crying, and, you know, and it kind of unleashed this unity, right? That there was a, a, a humility. There was a humility, because I'm sure there were probably offenses on both sides, and 
one way we are, I'll, I'll apologize once you apologize first, right? But it takes a certain humility to be the first to kind of go, hey, I'm going to own what's going on on our side of the spectrum, right? And to bend down and wash the feet. And that unleashed kind of this backdrop for some of these gatherings with different leaders from around the world, with uh, Protestants, Catholics seeking to seek Jesus together. And yeah, we've got differences, but let's look at how we can build bridges around our mutual love of Jesus, relational unity. So reality is Jesus has gifted his church with unity, and he calls us as his people to preserve that unity, to give our lives for one another in humility, to preserve the unity that Christ has accomplished. Well, how do we build into that unity? Let's move on to Ephesians uh, 4 again, verse 7 to 13. Paul goes on, he says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very, <coughs> is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So for Christ himself, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. All right, well, one of the things we see here is that Jesus gives the gift of leadership in order to serve and build up that unity. Right? We see Jesus modeling this. says that he has ascended. He is the greatest leader, right? Like He has ascended and been exalted over every authority, every power, every principality, every name. Jesus is the leader of all creation, right? And yet, what does that mean to say he ascended, but that he was the same one who descended, who gave his life and his incarnation and ultimately in his death to enter in with us and to be with us as his people and to lay down his life for us and to give himself, lift us up. That Jesus exhibits and models a leadership that lays down his life to serve and build up the community. And that he extends this ministry uh, to, to us and his church. And so it says he has given these leadership gifts, uh, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, uh, but the goal is to equip the people for works of service, to equip the body of Christ for works of service. And I think that sort of confronts some of our associations with leadership today. In, in our culture, there can be a sense that the higher up in leadership you become, the more disconnected you get to be from the muck and mess of everyday life, right? Like, yeah, if you're the CEO, you don't have to deal with the junk going on in the mailroom, right? But the gospel moves in the other direction and goes, actually, the goal of leadership is to empower the gifting of God's people. So we actually have a, a saying or a phrase over the years at, at Imago Day, and the, the, the saying is, pastors can't start ministries. Pastors can't start ministries. Uh, a, the reason is, A, because my ideas tend to not be all that good, right? <laughs> like you all have way better ideas than I do. Uh, but B, the second one is that we believe that God has gifted his church body, his people, with vision, with talent, with imagination, with dreams for how to love one another and love our world and love God better. And so uh, things are, we believe we're a lot stronger when it's all of us bringing our part of the meal to the potluck, right? Bringing the gifts that we've got to bring to the table. So part of our goal as leaders, leadership here, is to serve you, right? 
We want to serve and bring out the gifting that God has given us as his people. Paul gives some categories here of leadership, apostle, prophet, evangelist, and all. And some of those words can sound kind of weird to us today, right? We don't walk around, hey, Apostle Eric, and what's up, prophet? <laughs> you know? And so I, I want to try and unpack, spend a little time unpack each of these, because I believe they're significant still for us today. So let's kind of take these one at a time and see how these leadership gifts show up, uh, not only with kind of staff, but show up within our life as a church community. So the first one is apostle. Right? An apostle, again, that's a word we don't tend to use much today, so it can sound kind of foreign, uh, but it basically just means sent one, right? sent one, one who is sent. Historically, uh, apostles, even outside the church, apostles were like ambassadors. And so if the leader of a country or a nation, uh, if they were going to send an apostle, they were going to send an ambassador, a representative, one who knew the mind of the king, right? The, the kind of values of the place that they went to represent. And they were sent out to go and launch something new or start something new or represent the kingdom back home to the place they were going, right? And so when we think about this apostolic leadership, the idea is it's kind of an entrepreneurial, breaking new ground, having vision that is going out to start and build and launch something new. And there's implication here that the, this person or these people, that they have the mind of Christ, right? Like they represent well the one that they have been sent by. And so Jesus sends his 12 apostles, and then there's this apostolic sense that the, the mission goes on, and people are sent with fresh vision. So when I think of things like this for us today, I think even recognizing uh, Eric's gifting as a church planter, right, or launching a new site and going, dude, there's him going, man, I feel like Jesus is sending me out, is calling me to help form a community, a diverse, multi-ethnic, gospel-centered community here in Outer East Portland, right? And he's, he's moved his family and embedded in. Or I think of like church planters or missionaries, long-term missionaries, I mentioned my wife was in Nepal recently. She was with the Isenses. And if you're unfamiliar with them, we had a, 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 they are long-term missionaries in Nepal. And so we, we see them ascent from Amaga. They've been 10 years up in the Himalayan mountains, learning three languages uh, with the goal that an unreached people group, uh, where there are no believers, no local church, that they would actually encounter the gospel in their own language. And so every year we have a small team that uh, my wife was a part of that's sent to go and be with and encourage and catch up and update with them. That's a sense of an apostolic gifting, right? Like sent out to represent and launch something new, places where the gospel hasn't yet gone. And yet I think it continues even when the gospel is there. I was talking with a Catholic friend on this, this trip this week, and I was asking him about, how, how does it, you guys don't really plant churches, right? Because you've already got them everywhere. So, <laughs> so is the apostolic kind of gone, or what does that look like today? And, and he's like, well, no, you know, if we've already got a, a parish, and there's a church in that parish, then it continues on with things like launching of schools and hospitals, things like health and education, that we will commission and send leadership out that are sent by the church to launch new initiatives like that to serve the flourishing and well-being of the community, help mobilize the church to serve the flourishing of the area. So that's really cool, because that reminds me of things like uh, missional grants here at Imago, where we said, hey, we actually want to empower people with our church in our church who have vision that they could be sent out to launch new initiatives that bless and serve East Portland. 
And I'm really excited, actually, that uh, we just approved one of the mission grants for this year is uh, Daniel Mayfield, right here in our own community. Whoo! Yes, awesome. Well, we'll be sharing more on that in the weeks to come, but man, she's just been gifted with such amazing vision for serving and coming alongside refugees who have relocated here in Portland to be able to walk with them and help, helping to mobilize us as a church body to be engaged, to be able to come alongside and build relationship and get to know. And, and that's not something she just started thinking of yesterday, that's something she's given her life to. And so we, we have seen this gifting and want to affirm and, and, and go, do we want to help rally around you and mobilize around that and send you to lead and launch this thing? And we want to mobilize and support and walk into this together as a church. And so that sense of apostolic, that sense of being sent out with fresh vision to launch these new things, right? Uh, we move to the next one prophet. And we think of a prophet, uh, you know, often we think of Old Testament prophets. Um, When we think of prophet today, uh, that can sound a little, uh, for many of us, maybe like, oh, is that even around today? What does it look like? Well, yeah, I believe strongly that it is. A prophet, historically, it was someone who listened to God and was able to listen to God and then speak the words of God to his people for that moment, right? And I have been struck by, uh, my wife Holly and I, we started last year, we started doing kind of these prayer equipping groups. And, um, and one of our goals behind the scenes is actually experiencing the prophetic, right? Like, I am someone who, when I first came to faith, that was just sort of natural, like visions and dreams, a word from God, it just felt like the norm. And it wasn't until later that I found in some circles, like, oh, some people think that's weird, right? But part of the belief is that God still speaks today, Right? Part of the conviction in the gospel that God is present among his people and God is a God who speaks. What we find in scripture is that idols don't speak, God does. Right? Like the idols are often mocked because they, they have no voice, they have no agency, they have no personhood. But we find in scriptures that God not only speaks, it's not just words, like God's words are powerful. God's words create new futures. They unleash the imagination of his people to envision new possibilities. Uh, But we know that people can be freaked out, so usually we don't call it prophecy at first. We just call it listening to God, right? And then you get people listening to God and sharing with one another and growing and this or whatever, and they're like, okay, actually, you're doing prophecy. So we kind of tricked you into it, right? (laughs) So we trick people into doing prophecy. Uh, But one of the concerns some people have, I know at times, is going, well, can't that be manipulated, right? Or can't, can't some people manipulate that or abuse that? And of course, anything can be abused, and that's one of the reasons that I believe something like what Paul's talking about, like the, the role or office of a prophet or the prophetic in the community, is people who are trusted, people who are mature, people who uh, have exhibited a discernment to the voice of God, and the community goes, hey, we recognize these as people that we trust when it comes to discernment. And so while all of us can pursue listening to God, there are some that we look to to kind of lead us in that and help grow us in that. Because there is this, you know, I found uh, over the years, I've had a number of circumstances where uh, someone will come up on a Sunday and like, dude, I need the microphone. God's giving me a word. (laughs) And I'm kind of like, all right, well, let's go backstage. Maybe you tell me what it is first and we'll help discern, you know. (laughs) 
Then they see it, and I'm like, all right, we're not giving you the microphone. <laughs> I might say it more politely than that, right? But, but often those who are maybe the most adamant of wanting the mic are, are those that you most kind of need to protect the microphone from because, uh, <laughs> you know, there can be an agenda, in it, right? And so there's a truth to that. And yeah, I think it would be tragic if uh, we didn't pursue listening for God's voice in our lives personally and as a community because we're afraid of bad stuff. And so we want to pursue health in this as a community. We'll probably be talking about this more this year. We want to pursue a kind of healthy maturity and listening to God and being able to speak his voice with one another. And that requires a certain discernment that for us individually that we would have discernment to be able to go, does this resonate with me? Or if not, there's a freedom to kind of reject it and push it away. And as a church, I've had so many times in my life where I've needed discernment. Is God saying this? And I've been able to go to people within our church who I trust, who can help kind of discern God's leadership and voice in our life. One of our executive pastors recently was saying, uh, man, I, I, there are certain people in our community where I, I think when they say they feel like God's saying something, for our, us as a people, we should be listening, right? And that could be you. Like, I believe there are people that God wants to raise up, that we can be attentive, listening to the voice of God and speaking to, seeking to unlock our imagination with God's vision, his word for us as a community. Okay, well, evangelist, let's go there. Um, evangelist, that can be a dirty word in some circles today. It can sound imposing, uh, but the real gist here is proclaiming good news. Like proclaiming good news. Uh, that the gospel is not advice, it's news, right? Like it's a proclamation of who God is and what he's doing and up to in the world. And it's news that is good. It's good news. And so, you know, ultimately I think that the evangelist is this role of hospitality, of welcoming, of initiation, of bringing in and welcoming outsiders into the community. And two misconceptions I think people can have. Uh, one misconception is that evangelism is just, uh, just about talking at people. It's not about our whole life. And the reality is that, no, it's about our whole life as a witness, as a people. Read that Jesus, uh, in Matthew 4, it says, he went about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing all the sick and disease. It was word and deed. It was his proclamation and his presence. It's both end. And as he empowers us as his body, it's the same thing, that we embody the presence of his kingdom. Right? We have both a voice to proclaim the goodness of Jesus and hands and feet to live out that goodness of Jesus. Lift people up. <clears throat> and the second misconception, I think, is that it's just about telling people they're out <laughs> versus welcoming people in. Sometimes we have a kind of the angry street preacher in mind, but uh, the evangelist is really one who's going, God is for you in Christ, like God has given himself in order to embrace you. Uh, and yeah, there's an edge, like entering into life with God means dying to yourself, but it's an invitation into life with God. And he is a God with arms wide open to embrace us in Christ and make us whole. Uh, next, pastor. I think a pastor, uh, that the word pastor is really shepherd. It's, it, it's, it's a translation of the word shepherd. So we can think of pastors kind of, you know, this title, this office, but historically it's really this picture of a shepherd, and it's modeled on Jesus, the good shepherd, who lays down his life for the sheep, 
who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death, who's with us. So the pastoral leadership role here is, is to walk with the people of God, to walk with us in the various trials and tragedies and drama of life that we go through. This, this week with uh, Pope Francis, it was interesting, he said something effective like that the pastor, uh, it's danger if the pastor, we think of it as someone who, uh, because they're a pastor, they get to be disconnected from the life of the people. Because it's the opposite. The pastor should be immersed in walking with and fully with the life of the people. I was actually told there's a saying in Italy uh, said that if you can't smell the stink of the sheep on the clothing, then they're not really a pastor, right? <laughs> sure. And they didn't mean people are stinky, but they, you know, they meant that, like, man, if you're not in it, in the rough with folks, in the fullness of life, then uh, you're not really a shepherd, right? And that's part of our hope or goal. I, I know I'm new here at Eastside and, and really wanting to get to know, but our goal as leadership is that we would be walking with each other in the trenches of life, right? And one of the ways, you know, that we, we would do this as pastors, but also home communities is a key area where I think this gets fleshed out, right? Where home community leaders carry forward this calling and kind of shepherding and walking with and being with one another as a community in the good stuff and the hard stuff of life. So part of our vision for this next year is that we've got some amazing, we've got some amazing home communities. We actually want to resource, and one of my goals this next month or two is to visit each home community just to be with and get a sense of what's going on. And part of our goal is to help resource and equip so that it's not, uh, you don't feel like you're on your own, but that actually our home communities can become the centerpiece where we shepherd life with each other as God's people. All right, so finally then, teacher. And teacher, uh, this is um, you know, someone who can understand and help interpret the Scriptures. That our hope is that we would all be reading and kind of in the Bible and immersed in the story of God, that we could help one another, uh, man, actually grow in this area. So at the end of the day, we see that Jesus, our leader, has given us these gifts. He's given leadership in order to draw out and serve the gifts of all of us as his people. I love how Paul says here that each of us has been given grace, right? Each of us has received grace, has received a gift from Christ. And kind of going back to that image like the Oprah Cargover, right? He's given us this amazing gift, the gift of himself, and he's given you a gift to give away, to give to the life of God's people. That we could be built up in the unity, kind of preserve the unity of Christ's life in us, flowing through us as his people, through the power of his spirit. So the question I want to leave you with today is, you know, what's your one gift? What's what's your gift? Uh, Because he says each of us, grace, a gift has been given, and there's kind of these distinct, some of these distinct roles that we see. But I think for many of us, I, I think there's maybe two places that many of us are at today. Some of us, um, man, maybe we've got, we're, we're trying to exercise way too many gifts and Jesus is trying to hone us in on one, right? Like, I think there's some of us who are, man, we're leading home community, we're at Set Up Tear Down, we're volunteering at every event, like showing up everything, and, and that's awesome, that heartbeat's amazing. And I, I remember when I was uh, a new believer and I was just like, dude, 
I, got to, I want to care for the homeless. So I got involved in the homeless ministry. And then I, I started getting passionate about uh, like learning more about Native American uh, history and some of the justice issues there and racial injustice. So I got hugely involved there. And then, oh, and there's the, you know, they need people to help, uh, you know, welcome ushers at the door on Sunday morning. There. And then there's worship. Before I knew it, like doing 50 things. One of the beauty, beautiful things about being a church body is that you don't have to do everything, right? Like we each get to find kind of that, that spot that God's gifted us that we get to bring, and we don't have to feel the pressure that we all need to do it all. And so for some of you this morning, I want to encourage you with the freedom to kind of go, man, is there that, that one gift, or maybe it's just those, those few areas that this is where I feel like God has gifted me, I come alive, it's, it's, in, it's inherent in who I am. Because unity of the church body doesn't mean uniformity. He's given you different gifts, and that's good. And, and so for some of us, it's that. And then for many of us, too, though I think we need to move from no, <laughs> no gifts we're giving to that one, right? Like, is there, for some of us, I think we, man, we do not want to be a spectator church. Again, just a restaurant where we come and we order off our tastes and preferences. We want to be that potluck. And some of you have a gift a part of the meal that we're missing, that we need. So I want to invite you this morning to be processing, man, what's that area that Jesus is calling me to bring to the family table? What's that area that God's given me where I can step in and be a participant and contribute to the life of his community as a whole? Because the beauty is we're in this together and Jesus is in it with us by the power and the presence of his spirit. So as we come to communion this morning, we come to Jesus, the gift giver, who laid down his life and his body broken and his blood shed in order that we could receive his life, receive his very presence, that he would unleash the power of his spirit and form us as his body. And the power of his blood, his spirit, his very life flowing through our collective veins as his people that we'd be able to pour out our lives for one another, to take those gifts that he's given and give them away to each other and then together to his world. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, you are the gift giver. You have given us the greatest gift, Lord, the gift of yourself. So we give you praise. We thank you, God, that you did not stand far off, but it's possible you descended to the lowest places you stepped in your incarnation and ultimately your death, God, you bore the weight in order to give your life to us. And I pray now, God, that in the power of your spirit, we could give our lives to one another. God, for each person here, just ask Holy Spirit that you would begin to surface and discern that one gift, God, that thing that you've given, that you've implanted, that, like that that car, that box with the keys in it, God, that, that great thing that you've given for us to give away to one another, God. Pray for those who, um, man, have maybe been, been looking on at the table, God, but haven't yet found what's, what's their piece of the meal to bring. Jesus, that you would give them insight and discernment right now. Holy Spirit, that you would even bring to their mind just the gift that you're calling them, the piece of the meal you're calling them to bring to the family table. And for those who've been 
maybe running around trying to cover for all those who aren't involved in it and do all you know, the 50 things. They've been cooking 50 dishes, God. I pray that you would give them the freedom to find what's that one? What's that, what's that one piece? But for all of us, Jesus, in the power of your spirit, that we could build, we could preserve the unity you've accomplished, God, and build each other up by giving the gifts you've given and the power of your spirit to enter into the fullness of the life you have for us as your people. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at idceastside.com. Thanks for listening.